So would you take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 90, Psalm 90 this morning, and we are this week and next kind of transitioning from Songs in the Night, that's been the short, I guess it's short series of uh, passages in the Psalms that we've been going through this fall, and we'll be transitioning to Songs of Worship. And we'll be just talking about singing and worship and what God desires along those lines for us individually in our church and uh, just so much in the Psalms that explain um, God's heart in our worship. And so we're going to be taking some time to deal with that as we then go into songs of thanksgiving into the holidays. So we're excited about that. But as we make this transition, Psalm 90 isn't really characterized uh, or categorized as, as a song, a psalm of lament, but uh, there is lament in the psalm, and there is the idea of prayer here. This is a prayer that uh, actually Moses wrote, and, and so it does help us understand some of those dynamics of lament, but this particular psalm really helps us with our perspective of God, and uh, in comparison to our perspective of ourselves. And and so many times, we think a lot of ourselves and very little of God. But this psalm actually kind of clarifies and, and really makes our perspective clear. Actually, we should make much of God and very little of ourselves. And as we have been talking about depression and discouragement, so much of that season of time really deals with perspective. And uh, we have talked about the variety of ways depression can come on and some of the causes of those. And, and yet, through the whole series, the goal has been for us to not let ourselves stay in a place of discouragement and depression, but actually constantly move to where God wants us to be, a place of trust in him and, and really encouragement. And yet, the cycle for some of us ends up being a fairly regular thing, but we must constantly be moving our perspective from off ourselves to our glorious God that we have heard sung about today and even participated ourselves. And so Psalm 90 helps us with the perspective of God being the one who is truly great and man actually being pretty frail. And there's some very specific statements in this psalm as we go through it today. Would you look at the passage of scripture with me? I'll read it if you want to follow along. Hopefully you have a copy of the scriptures in some way, digital or paper in front of you. But Psalm 90 verse 1 says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man back into dust, and you say, return, O children of man, For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by, or as a watch in the night. You have swept them away like a flood. They fall asleep. In the morning they are like grass which sprouts anew. In the morning it flourishes and sprouts anew. Toward evening it fades and withers away. For we have been consumed by your anger and by your wrath. 
we have been dismayed. You have placed our iniquities before you and our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days have declined in your fury. We have finished our years like a sigh. As for the days of our lives, they contain 70, or if due to strength, 80 years. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow. For soon it is gone and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due you? So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Do return, O Lord, how long will it be, and be sorry for your servants. O satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days you have afflicted us and the years which we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your majesty to your children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and confirm for us the work of our hands. Yes, confirm the work of our hands. Hopefully you picked up on some of the themes in the psalm and you can understand even the the perspective of the writer as he talks about days of sorrow and grief and feeling the weight of, of the Lord's presence and his wrath because of the sin that we all incur and participate in. Yet, the progression moves from just a, a point of view and a perspective of being sad and sorrowful to one of great hope and one of request, where he will say, make us glad according to the days that you have afflicted us. So we understand in this process that it is God that is allowing these things into our lives. And they're hard and they're difficult. But we can be glad. So as we transition from songs in the night to songs of, of um, uh, psalms of song, really, as we see here in the passage 14 in the second portion there, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. So we're moving from discouragement, depression, to singing all of our days. That's the goal. And thankfully, these passages in the Psalms have instructed our minds, and so we have to constantly tell our minds to connect with our hearts, to make sure our hearts are in line with the truth. And that's the progression, because many times we just don't feel like it. And I've been very transparent about my journey of just significant, I would call it significant, it has been because it's the first time in my life that I've gone through a series of, of really discouragement or even feelings of depression. I've never felt that before until this summer. And so I've been trying to be very transparent, and many of you have been transparent with me as you have had a similar journey, maybe in days past, or you're currently in a journey uh, along those lines. And, and yet, we have to continue to instruct our minds and our hearts with the truth. And when we do that, the truth corrects our perspective. It gets our perspective off ourselves and to our God and his greatness and even his goodness, which that's many times where the wrestling is. Because how can you be good if you have allowed, and then fill in the blank. 
And this tension is all throughout the scripture. It's been there since the curse. And we can try as much as we want to buck against it. So you can come up with every logical, reasonable question for God. And the psalmist many times does that. But at the end of the day, you can't change it. I can't change it. I look at the tensions in my own life, in the world in which I live, in the world in which God has created, and the generations that have gone before, and so many things, the older I get, they just don't make sense. And because the voices, the other voices, besides the voice of truth, are so loud, many times we can really wrestle with that tension and and really cause significant doubt, which is why we must constantly go back to the truth and let the truth correct our perspective, correct our feelings, and we must submit. And so the tensions are there. I fully agree. In many days, they're very loud in my mind right now. But there has to be a louder voice, and that is the voice of truth. Now, as we look at this psalm, what's helpful for us to understand is the historical context in this, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. But even as far as the writing of this psalm, it's, if you have a, a Bible, a copy of the scriptures that, which have the, the uh, titles at the top, you'll see that it's attributed to Moses. So this is a prayer of Moses. And so because of the fact that Moses wrote this, this is one of the oldest psalms, probably the oldest psalm that we have. It's the only one that is attributed to him. But it's probably not only the oldest psalm that we have, but it's probably one of the oldest pieces of scripture that we have. So the feelings that this writer, Moses, is expressing today, notice that even in 2022, we feel the same way. We're experiencing the same tensions. Moses is looking at a group of people who are literally dying in front of his face. That's the context. As a whole generation of God's children died in the wilderness... He's watching death over and over and over. The sorrow is immense. And the tensions of his heart as he looks at people come and go, come and go. And he sees yet that God actually has always been and always will be. He then has to submit To that fact, there is a creator and we are the creation. We want to feel like we are as important as the creator. That's what our sin nature does. We like to think that we are big. But as Moses is watching one person after another go back to dust, he is seeing over and over that we are actually very, very frail. We are very very small. And when we get that perspective corrected, 
then we can say, okay, if life is not about us and life is about the creator, then this little bit of time that we have, we better use it for the right purposes. Which is why he says, teach us to number our days. And so this morning, the reality, and that's, that's where we start this morning, the reality we face in life is directly here in this text. And if you would go back to verse 1, it says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born, you gave birth to them. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Yet you turn man back into dust and say, Return, O children of men. In order to think correctly, and so many times our thinking about God really determines how we live. So let's just do a simple evaluation of our life over the last few, few days, right? Just let's make this practical. The areas in your life where you would say, you know what, I was living on mission, I was living with the right perspective, I was keeping all of the earthbound toys and joys and even sorrows in their right place. All of that probably can be attributed to the fact of your view of God and how you saw God as part of your life. But in all the areas where things did not go so well, and there's probably more of those than the first category, you probably can point to areas in your thinking where you were not viewing God correctly. Whether submitting to his sovereignty in the sorrow, whether submitting to his, his holiness in the very personal areas of your life. Our view of God many times determines the way that we live very practically. And so the psalmist starts here with the right view of God. God is big. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You are the creator. I am the creation. And the reality that we face is, I came from dirt, I'm going to come go back to dirt. And that doesn't sound very hopeful or enjoyable, but that is the reality that we face. But when we see God correctly, we can handle that reality because, as the psalmist says, God, you have been my dwelling place. In all the generations, it is God who is our creator. And the idea here is protector, provider. Our dwelling place, our security is in God. It is not in the here and now. It is not in the circumstances that we experience. Our tendency is to put so much stock into the here and now and what we are facing and what we have but Moses says, actually, God, you are our dwelling place. Our safety, our provision, our stability, it is all in you. We take our refuge in you. 
He says, before the mountains were born, you were there. We, we can tend to look at the mountains and, and even some of the, the greater mountain ranges of the world that, that perhaps you've been able to visit and see, uh, as I have. You look at those and you think how stable and how secure and how permanent they look. This text reminds us that before the mountains were there, God was. So the actual essence of stability and security is God himself from everlasting to everlasting. So God stays the same, but we are here for just a moment. Our lives will end in death. Over the years as a pastor, uh, most pastors have this experience, you are able to spend time with people near death. And I've had many occasions in over 20 years now where I have been at a hospital visit or even a a bedside in a home right before someone passes. And when we were in Florida, when we started our our church plant in 2006, there was a lady who was part of our, there was just 12 people as we got started down there. And and, uh, one of our 12 members was, uh, she was 90-something, I can't remember exactly, but Mrs. Mock. And um, she would sit on the front row uh, every service, right there, right under my nose. And I watched Mrs. Mock uh, experience just the decline of health. And she didn't have a lot of family, had a son but wasn't local. And, and so our church was really her family. And, and as she got close to death, um, her home was just right around the corner from where we were meeting. And, and I remember taking, our kids were really little, and we, I remember that night, and, and right before the night she actually passed, and we were all around her bedside, and we sang to her, and we confirmed that she was going to see Jesus, and, and we left, and she passed an hour or two later. And, and the reality that this writer is experiencing. I have had the, the privilege and, and uh, the responsibility as well to see people all the way to the end. And the reality that we know, we know, we know, we know. But when you come right next to it, it's like those moments where you can understand the writer of Ecclesiastes to say it's better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting because you're, you're hit directly with the reality we are going to return to dust. It's going to happen. At points in our lives, especially when we're younger and even in middle age, we think we have plenty of time. It's going to be okay. But that's not necessarily always the case. And so we must live with the perspective that we are small. We are here for just a moment. We will turn back to dust. And the text says that God does this. The one who is from eternity past and into eternity as we look towards the future, it is God that does this work. He is the creator. We are the creation. He is the one who says, your time is finished. As I mentioned, Moses here is experiencing in real time. Because in 40 years, 
he watched approximately a million people die. Try to wrap your mind around that. In my lifetime, the closest thing that I can even relate to, and it's, it's really one illustration I would say is I've seen pictures of genocide and things in other places of the world. I haven't experienced it, but I've seen masses of people who have died. But even with the COVID experience, as we looked at those numbers daily, as, I don't know if you did, but I, across the world, the numbers of deaths in different countries, and, and that was the closest thing that I have experienced to masses of, of people that have passed at one particular time. But Moses is in a situation, and the historical context here is where that we find in Numbers that the people grumbled against the Lord, and the Lord had enough of it. They actually got to the point after God miraculously delivered them from Egypt and he brought them right to the edge of the promised land of Canaan and he sent the, the small group of 12 into the land and said, go check it out. And 10 of the 12 came back and said, we can't do it. And they convinced the group that they couldn't do it. And so the group says, why did you bring us here? We should go back to Egypt to the point where they wanted to elect a whole nother leader, it tells in Numbers chapter 13. They were bound and determined to do it their own way. They thought Egypt would be far better because they lost their faith and trust in the one who had delivered them. So God said, enough. You all will not enjoy the promised land. And as the scripture tells us, there were 600, over 600,000 men, which you take probably, that means there was probably over a million, including women and children. But anyone over 20 did not get to go into the promised land, and they did pass on. So in those 40 years that Moses here is writing this particular uh, piece of scripture, he is watching one million people die in 40 years. Those numbers are significant in regards to death. And so he says, the reality that, that he is facing, the reality that we all face is we will return to dust. He is seeing it live in color. And he understands it's because of their own sinfulness. He says right in the text that we have been consumed by your anger and by your wrath. We have been dismayed. You have placed our iniquities before you and our secret sins in light of your presence, which simply means right in the face of God. It's all been exposed. So what, what Moses has wrestled with is the fact that they deserved it. And we all must wrestle with the fact that what we deserve is punishment. You say, I'm actually a pretty good person. I try to do what I can and, and I try to live. That's, that only gets you so far. And it certainly doesn't get you enough before a holy God. And so what you and I experience is what was passed down, according to Romans, that for by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death really spread through all men. It's because of our sin, starting from Adam, that was passed on, that the reality that we face is that we will return to the ground. 
And if we will not turn to our God and accept the fact that it is his son and his son alone who provides salvation, then we experience eternity separated from our holy God, from our creator. And so we have the right, the reality uh, that we face, but the reason is because of the judgment of God, the wrath of God that is upon us. And the reality is that we deserve it. And this group of people, and this is how God in this season of his life and in this season of his program allowed the judgment to take place. Thankfully today, we, we haven't experienced this kind of judgment. But this was the plan of God and Moses has seen it and he, he understands. So he's watching this generation of people and he says, verse 10, as for the days of our lives, they contain 70 or do strength 80 years. And I've seen a variety of illustrations along these lines. Uh, Dr. Olo used to use a ruler and, and I remember in chapel in college, he, he preached on this passage and, and he brought a ruler up that described this timeline of life and, and he, he would take pieces of the ruler off and, 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 and I've seen that done. But I've heard also like that of a gas tank that you know if you take... 70 or 80 years, you got a full tank of gas. And so those of you who are, you know, in, in the 20s or whatever, and, and you're in that, that season of life, you're, you're three-fourths of the way. Um, you still got three-fourths of a tank. And then those of us who are, are down the spectrum a little bit, and then some of us who are on the older spectrum, you understand the reality because you're facing the fact, I, I, I have a quarter of a tank left according to this timeline. And that's a harsh reality. But the goal for that reality is to produce in us a a fear of God, a reverential awe for our creator that that actually with the time that we have, we're going to use it well. And we can spend our days discouraged and down about all the brokenness and all the mess and all the sorrow that we have experienced. And Satan would love to keep us there. Or we can see God for who he is. He is the creator. And we are the creation and we have to submit. You say, I don't want to submit. To be honest, I don't want to submit either. I do not like what I'm speaking about today. But we can either stay low and waste time Or we can look to our God and tell our hearts, day in, day out, get up, do what you're supposed to do, trust God, and live for his glory. Those are our options. It's not going to change the fact time is ticking away. So with this reality, it should be correcting our perspective because we understand the reason is right. We actually deserve this. God, apart from you, I actually am nothing. I am dust. I'm headed there soon. 
what it should produce in us is a priority. A priority to live. And, and as we look at Moses' words here, he's going to, by, by this prayer, really give us a framework to live as far as our priorities are concerned. He starts out there in verse 12. So teach us to number our days so that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. The right priority for life is a request for wisdom. God, help us to think. With the days that we have left, wherever we are in our tank, from a three-fourths of a tank to a half tank to a quarter tank, and only God knows, wherever we are, teach us to think well as we spend these days. Give us a heart that will say, I will submit to your wisdom. When it doesn't make sense to me, it's not logical, it's not rational. So many times the equations, they just don't all work out perfectly. But God, I will submit. Wise people number their days. Wise people understand the day of dust is coming. And so while they have these hours and days, they live with wisdom, seeking the Lord. One example of this is Jonathan Edwards. You've probably read some of his resolutions in time past. Perhaps maybe you've never even heard of Jonathan Edwards. And, And he was a preacher that was very, very helpful. And he had a number of resolutions that he tried to live with, and um, I've just given you four here. But imagine this being your heart on a moment-by-moment, day-by-day basis. He said this, Resolved never to do any manner of thing, whether in soul or body, less or more, but what tends to the glory of God. That's straight from Scripture, because Scripture tells us Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. So our days, if we're going to live them with wisdom, should be to the glory of God. Not to our glory, not with us being the the major player, but resolved to live them well. Resolved as well, never to lose one moment of time, but to improve it in the most profitable way I possibly can. Ouch. Because let's just go back to that little evaluation of the last seven days. Think about this. Never to lose one moment, but to improve it? God, teach us to number our days. He also said, resolved to live with all of my might while I do live. You know, so there's, there's the, the ten, and, and I'm, I'm not trying to be overly harsh or, or unsympathetic. You know that. Like, I'm, I'm telling these things to my own life. Like, I know you don't feel like it. Many days, I don't feel like it. 
But we do it anyway. And we don't do it half-hearted. We do it with all of our might for the glory of God. The Holy Spirit that lives inside of us gives us the strength to actually do what we're supposed to do. Resolve that I will live so as I shall wish I had done when I come to die. So let's talk about our funeral services. Someone's going to probably say some things about you at your funeral. What are you giving them to say? Say, I, I got time. Probably don't have as much as you think. What are they going to say about you? Does that, does that do anything to your heart this morning? Because the day of dust is coming. That's the reality. And the reason is right. Even though we don't think it's fair, it's right. Because he's a holy God. And we're not. And so what it should do for us is cause us to live in light of who he is. So he's really, really big in our lives. And we actually get smaller as the day approaches for the time of dust. Resolved that what, the way I live, I won't be, I won't be living with regret. I won't, I won't be sorry. Obviously, there's no one perfect. I get that. But a life direction toward what God desires for our lives. So he literally prays for wisdom. So that would be my suggestion right from the text. As we get up tomorrow morning, pray for wisdom. Teach us to number our days. Help us to live in light of who God is. This God who, as the text says, a thousand years are like a day. A thousand years are like a night watch, which is a four-hour period of time. So imagine a thousand years and all the things that have been accomplished. No crusades, no reformation, no industrial period, no America. A thousand years. It's like that for him. A day seems so long for us. But it, it could be something that we could actually use really, really well. He also says in verse 14, Oh, satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness that we may sing for joy and be glad all of our days. Two requests here as well in this verse. A prayer for satisfaction Every morning when we wake, we should ask the Lord for him to be our satisfaction. And there should be a gratefulness for his loving kindness, which is just his mercy that we're not consumed. But because we have experienced grace through his son, we actually have hope. We get up and we live and we don't have to live in fear of condemnation. We live in hope that he has redeemed us. And we have this moment, this day, this week, these years, however 
long they may be, to be satisfied in our Creator and not the creation. Which again, that's something we have to tell our heart. Heart, you don't want that, you do want Him. Everything tells you you want that. Nope, you actually want Him. Satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness. That we may sing for joy. He requests a prayer for a request for joy. We're going to talk about singing over the next few weeks and what that does for the soul and the joy that it brings and the responsibility that we are all supposed to sing. Whether you can carry a tune or not, we are to sing for joy. And the joy is there even when we face sickness, when we face affliction, when we face loss, there is joy because our God is present. So when he says, and that's our verse theme, hopefully you've caught it throughout the morning, verse 15, make us glad. So that takes our heart from discouragement and depression to joy. God, do this work in my heart today, just like you did yesterday. I'm getting up, I'm not feeling it, My heart wants to listen to all the other voices, but you're the voice of truth, so give me your perspective of who you are and what I am. I'm going to dust. I only have a little bit of time left, so help me to understand joy and make it real in my life. Make us glad. It's a prayer. We can lament over all the, the sorrow and the sadness and the death, but we must move in our hearts to joy. That process has to happen. And by God's grace, he will do it if we will allow him to. We move from sadness to gladness. Verse 16, another request he has here is for understanding. Let your work appear to your servants and your majesty to your children. We're not going to understand it all. The tension is there. I've spoken about it. I totally agree. But we can come to a place where we're at least willing to submit that we are not God. And there is a God, and his plan is very different than ours, but his plan has to be right. If it's not right, the whole thing's garbage. But because he is who he says he is, he's not a, guy who, a God who possibly can lie, then we know it's real and it's accurate. And so we keep telling our mind and telling our hearts, over and over and over, and we ask God for understanding as we experience all of the tensions, all the frustrations. God, help us to understand your work. And the last request is for just it's a blessing for accomplishment. Verse 17 
Let the favor of the Lord be upon us and confirm for us the work of our hands and confirm the work of our hands. So we have these days, these 70 years, maybe 80, if God's blessing is there, maybe more for extra. But this time we have that we're going to submit to our God and and use it for wise purposes, for wisdom, so that we can be used by our God For his glory, we want God to shine his favor upon it. Let the favor of the Lord be upon us. God, this work we're doing, would you bless it? Use it however you want, but bless it. And let us experience let us experience your favor. A verse that is hopefully an encouragement as we think about these things. Second Timothy, Paul says, I have fought the good fight, and it is a fight. <laughs> Some days the war is stronger than others. And I have finished the course. I have kept the faith In the future, there is, and you should underline that, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Why? Because we're so great? No, because Jesus is great. He is our righteousness. There is a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, he will award to me on that day. Brother, sister in Christ, I hope you believe that. If you're doubting, tell your heart to believe it. He will award to us on that day, and not only to me, but to all those who love his appearing. You know what that means? For all of those who are here this morning in Christ, and I don't know the hearts, but I know our God does, and and there are a multitude of people who are in Christ. We are in God's family because we have a position in Christ, because we have trusted fully in Christ's finished work on the cross. And if that is the case for you, and if you love the idea of his appearing, that he will come back and he will do what he said he did, what will be handed to you is a crown of righteousness. So it's, it's actually encouraging for us to think about the day that we die because it keeps us on track for why we are here in the first place. Everyone wants to tell us we're here for ourselves, so live it up and do what you can to take care of you. But the scriptures correct that point of view, that that view that man is big and God is small. The scriptures correct it and bring us back to the right place where we say, actually, God is big and we are really, really small. So we're going to finish this day with that perspective of God. And we're going to get up tomorrow morning when our flesh says otherwise and we're going to correct our minds and we're going to beg God for wisdom and joy and satisfaction and accomplishment and we're going to watch him 
grant those requests. Because what happens is when a heart is willing to go from despair to actually joy, and the heart will submit to the process, God does it. The circumstances could be exactly the same. The same hurt, the same sorrow, the same loss, but the heart is different from where it started to where it ends. And that process maybe one that needs to happen every hour, maybe every day, maybe every few days, maybe once a year, but the process must happen. We must take our hearts, by God's grace, from despair to joy. And give God praise through the process. We don't settle. We're not going to settle. We don't want to waste time. We want to invest. We want to make a difference, not a deficit. We want to make a difference for the glory of God. Would you bow with me as we close? Psalm 90 does for us once again what many of these psalms have done for us in weeks past. Minister grace to our heart, giving us a clear view of what God's will for our lives are today. And it corrects our thinking, brings us back to a place where we see how really wonderful and great our God is and how real weak and frail we are. And because of the hope of Jesus Christ that we are redeemed and God is waiting for us someday, we can find joy. In all the hardship and all the sorrow, we can find joy. Would you submit to him today? Would you submit to his truth? If you need to tell your heart and mind to think correctly, do it. Maybe follow Moses' prayer and just these few things that Moses asked for. God, teach me to number my days. I want to be wise. I want to find satisfaction in you. Give me joy in the journey. And as I work for you, would you just bless it? Would you give me favor? Respond individually there, and then we'll corporately respond together in song. God, the day of dust is coming for all of us. So the gift of life that you've given us, God, help us to steward it well. Help us to constantly think about our end so that we will daily live with the perspective that you are big and we are small. We are nothing apart from you. God, make us joy, joyful in the journey. Help us to be thankful for your loving kindness and mercy. And we'll give you praise and glory. In your name we pray, amen.